I, Quiholeth, have reigned in Jerusalem over Israel. With the help of wisdom, I have been at pains to study all that is done under heaven. Oh, what a weary task God has given mankind to labor at. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and what vanity it is all. What chasing of the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is not there cannot be counted. I thought to myself, I have acquired a greater stock of wisdom than any of my predecessors in Jerusalem. I have great experience of wisdom and learning. Wisdom has been my careful study, stupidity too, and folly. And now I have come to recognize that even this is chasing after the wind. Much wisdom, much grief. The more knowledge, the more sorrow. I thought to myself, very well, I will try pleasure and see what enjoyment has to offer. And there it was, vanity again. This laughter, I reflected, is madness. This pleasure is no use at all. I resolved to have my body cheered with wine, my heart still devoted to wisdom. I resolved to embrace folly, to see what made mankind happy and what men do under heaven. And in the few days they have to live, I did great things. I built myself palaces, planted vineyards, made myself gardens and orchards, planting every kind of fruit tree in them. I had pools made for watering the plantations and bought men slaves and women slaves, had home-born slaves as well. Herds and flocks I had too, more than anyone. More than anyone in Jerusalem before me, I amassed silver and gold, the treasures of kings and provinces. Acquired singing men and singing women and every human luxury, chest on chest of it. And so I grew great, greater than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Nor did my wisdom leave me. I denied my eyes nothing they desired, refused my heart no pleasure, a heart that found all my hard work a pleasure. Such was the return I got from my efforts. I then reflected on all that my hands had achieved, on all the effort I had put into this achieving. What vanity all it is, chasing after the wind. There is nothing to be gained under the sun. My reflection then turned to wisdom, stupidity, folly. For instance, what can the successor of a king do? What has been done already? More than has, more is to be had from wisdom than from folly, as from light than from darkness. This, of course, I see. The wise man sees ahead. The fool walks in the dark. No doubt. But I know, too, that one fate awaits them both, the fool's fate. I thought to myself, will be my fate too? On what use my wisdom then? This too, I thought, is vanity. Since there is no lasting memory for wise men or fool, and in the days to come, both will be, forget both will be forgotten. Wise man, alas, no less than fool, must die. 
Life I have come to hate, for what is done under the sun disgusts me, since all is vanity and chasing after the wind. All I have toiled for and now bequeathed to my, ancestor, to my successor, I have come to hate, for who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will be master of all the work into which I have put my efforts and wisdom under the sun. That, too, is vanity. And hence, I have come to despair of all the efforts I have expended under the sun. For so it is that a man who has labored wisely, skillfully, and successfully must leave what is his own to someone else who has not toiled for it at all. This, too, is vanity and great injustice. For what does he gain for all the toil and strain that he has undergone under the sun? What of all his labors, laborious days, he cares for uh, of his cares that he has undergone under the sun? What of all his laborious days, his cares of office, his restless nights? This, too, is vanity. There is no happiness for man but to eat and drink and to be content with his work. This, too, I see as something from God's hand, since plenty and penury both come from God. Wisdom, knowledge, joy, he gives to the man who pleases him. And on the, sin on the sinner lays the task of gathering and storing up for another who is pleasing to God. This, too, is vanity and chasing of the wind. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The kids are invited to kids' church. is meaningless. A chasing after the wind is what the teacher Kohelet has for us today. All is vanity, all is vapor, all is emptiness, uh, all is hollow. Um, a chasing after the wind is, is sort of where we are today. It's, it's, there are Sundays where it hits me how odd church is. We all stood and heard a passage read that was not uplifting, um, to say the least, and then responded with the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. There's something that comes outside of us for these sort of passages, that we, we hear these truths, and we stand because that's what we do here, but we also stand um, in the sense of which there's um, a wisdom being spoken to us that isn't just our standard street fare, that we're, we're attempting to hear something from God as Scripture is read. And, and we, we try to hear the words that aren't always happy words. Um, now, I can say this today. Uh, I finished outlining Ecclesiastes for the sermon series, and so uh, this is uh, two of 12. So I don't expect attendance to decline during this, but I'm warning you in advance that, that we have, um, but the way I outlined it, we'll hear the whole book read um, in various Sundays, you know, um, in order, we'll, we'll go through it in the order that it is, and I think 
it's, it's nice to be able to do that, to be able to hear all the words that the teacher has for us on how he's going to instruct us. And it's, it's where the book ends, as we'll end each of these sermons too, in that like, it was good for us to listen to this. This is, the, the, in many ways, sort of the ultimate of wisdom under the sun. Now, there's another perspective that the narrator who frames the book at the end, or beginning, and frames the book at the end is going to give us um, another way of, of, of hearing the teacher. But he wants us to know that the teacher, in his um, anxiety and angst and uh, darkness and having a bad day, if you want to say it that way, is necessary to listen to. We used the phrase last week from the theologian um, Walter Brueggemann on, on the, how we need to listen to counter-testimony. If we had the book of Proverbs last summer, it was testimony to how things look when things go well. That if you do the things that society has asked of you, that you've followed wisdom, that you've avoided folly and the things that come to folly, then you will have success in life. And what the teacher, Kohelet, as, 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 uh, was in Chris's translations, but is what he calls himself here at the start is that I, Kohelet, which is the Hebrew name for the book. Ecclesiastes comes from, um, he's the one addressing the gathering. Uh, the church is in Greek, the Ecclesia. So when we took it and made it a Christian book, we changed the name to Ecclesiastes. So he's the, the gatherer or something. But the, but the teacher... Um, uh, speaks with the wisdom gathered from life under the sun. But what, what I find interesting is he doesn't, there's going to be parts where he sees that Proverbs fails people. That people do everything right and it doesn't always work out right. But even in today's passage, he has this other thing, which is like, okay, you do everything right and it works out, you still die. Death is the great equalizer to the teacher. And so we, we listen to him, um, and it's important for us to listen to him, not as the full story, but for his part of the story, because it instructs us into, uh, into other ways or, or how the world can seem in its dysfunction and disrepair. One of the five sort of things that we talk about or make up our distinctives at Defiance Church is, is order, um, and I would love if the, I wouldn't love it if the teacher was here. I don't think any of us would enjoy to hang out with the teacher for very long, at least when he's in this mood. Um, but uh, if he were here and I'd say order, and he'd be like, he'd always be the person who'd be like, pastor, that was a good word. But what about all the disorder in the world? Not only about all the disorder, but even if you order it the ways that you think you can, you're still going to die. We should be glad (laughs) he's not here. Um, But like the teacher, the framer of the book says, it's important for us to listen to this wisdom. Now, before we get too far into the sermon, there's a quote on the back of the bulletin from Dietrich Bonhoeffer that I thought about last week when David was addressing how we hold these words together. Now, Bonhoeffer at this point in his life is in a Nazi prison. So um, it's a place where you could see perhaps, that Kohelet's words have, have been true. Um, and what he says as he writes to his friends, my thoughts and feelings seem to be getting more and more like the Old Testament. And no wonder I've been reading into it much more than the new for the last few months. 
It is only when one knows the ineffability, the unspeakability of the name of God that one can utter the name Jesus Christ. It is only only when one loves this world and the world so much that without them everything would be gone that one can believe in the resurrection and a new world. It is only one when one submits to the law that one can speak of grace. And only one and only when one sees uh, the anger and wrath of God hanging like grim realities over the, over the head of one's enemies that one can know something what if it means to love and forgive. I don't think it's Christians I don't think it's Christian to want to get to the New Testament too soon and too directly. We live on the next to the last word and we believe on the last, don't we? What Bonhoeffer here is, is naming why I think this counter-testimony is important is we need to learn to sit in these places so that when we reach the good news of what God does for us in Jesus Christ, it shines all the brighter. It needs to be a truth that's worn out in the way that order or creation actually is. There's a mistake that we can make where we... Um, And this often leads to a faith that's frustrating, I think, in which we think that all of this stuff, what Kohelet says, what the Old Testament says, this, that, and the other, is abolished and so that when we meet Jesus Christ, we are somehow transcended beyond all of that. But creation still remains. Frustration still remains. What Kohelet is is going to help us with what Bonhoeffer is saying here. And um, incidentally, Bonhoeffer really is coming back to the book of Ecclesiastes at this point too, is is to sort of see um, a testimony about the way in which the world that gives us truthful speech and truthful living. I think we've all met people, Christian or not, I think more not today, which is interesting because the pop advice of the world seems so much more broken, that 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 don't seem to have a handle on reality anymore. So we have our own sages today, our own teachers, um, like Kohelet. Um, but what I find interesting about them, if you, if you stop and listen to them, is they lack the hard-won wisdom. So many of them, I think, sound like, you know, as I moved forward and I accepted myself and I looked at the world, um, I've matured beyond it. Kohelet doesn't allow for that. There's in pastor school, and er, people who leave the pastorate, I'll pick on pastors today, um, often will say, you know, like, I've learned to live so much more in the questions, and it's freeing and better. What Kohelet will say is, I've learned to live so much more in the questions and become wise, and it's terrifying and terrible. That's the hard-won truth of this. See, in the modern world, we get these, these platitudes and things like that, that that sort of suggests that you can move into those spaces and find more freedom. Kohelet says, let us move into those spaces. And what we'll find is much darker than what we imagined. How do we explain all this? How do we live into all this? So that's, that's sort of... Uh, 
Lord, Lord, thanks be to God. What we have in store for us today in Kohelet's sort of memoir, he starts the book uh, here with sort of recapping how he's come to search for wisdom, how he's looked throughout the world, how he's sort of gone in this way. This, this way in which it starts and way it moves through one and two is common to an ancient Near East grave biography is what they call them, where when kings would die or before they would die, they would write out all their sort of like uh, great things that they've done and their, their attachments in the world and stuff like that, and they would um, sort of boast. It was a form of boasting as you, as you died. It was sort of your Hall of Fame speech to, to say something that may make sense to us, is, is that this is what kings would do. Kohelet does that, and he's like, and yet it was all meaningless, um, which I think the reason why Kohelet adopts the per persona of Solomon, as many people, um, Christians grew up, uh, thinking Solomon wrote the book, which, go ahead, I mean, I, I don't have any problem with that, but, um, but the reason why it's in the voice of Solomon, let's say, is because if the person at the top who's supposed to be immune from all this ends up with life this way, we need to listen to that because we think that there's a way in which we're immune from the problems that affect us. The king says there is no immunity from the problems that affect all of you. The other thing why I think it's important that it comes in the voice of a king is because he has the means to do all the destructive things uh, for himself to test it out. Required concubines and all this other stuff that, that he is the one who's able to say sort of like, look, you guys may not be able to afford all this cool stuff, but I have. And let me tell you, it doesn't solve the problem of meaninglessness doesn't solve the problem of everything turning to vapor. It doesn't sound, solve the problem of brokenness. But I think is interesting is, is that the book, in, in most of our translations, is going to start with the word I, uh, this section of the book, verse 12, I, the teacher. Uh, and what he says is, I applied my mind. Chris, what did yours say? Oh, you closed it. Um, does anybody have theirs open? Uh, to 2.12, I applied my mind to study. The Greek there, or the Latin, uh, Hebrew there, um, is, is more influenced of heart. Heart being the center of our being, most translators then turn it to mind because we think the mind is our center of our being today. Um, but but uh, Kohelet says, he set his mind, heart, the interior of himself, and even if we were to say the mind too, he sets the interior of himself to explore Wisdom and all that is done under the heavens or under the earth. He sets himself in this um, interior way, which I think is an interesting reason on why we should listen to him, is that, is that he says that if I search from the interior, from all that we can see, from all that we can do, this is where we end up. Now, what he's going to allow, and the end of the book is going to allow, is that's not the only frame we have for looking at everything. But what he is doing is saying that as far as we can do on our own, outside of revealed what God has done to his people, which he won't refer to, what God has done for his people in rescuing them from slavery in Egypt, what God has done for us in rescuing us from death in Jesus Christ, outside of that, this is what life amounts to, is what he says. And I think that's why it's worth listening to, because as we look in the world, and I think the challenge for the modern Christian is we're like a 50-50. Um, and this is, 
You know, you say that and you're like, yeah, I, I don't think it was ever that way, <laughs> not that way. But we've got one foot in the all that I can explore, setting my heart to search about, looking through the world, all that I can do, and half a foot in heaven and life over in the sky and what God is going to do to us through Jesus Christ. Um, you know, it's a... Uh, um, the common sort of, I trust God with my soul, but not with my money. I trust God with this, but not with that. And so we too live sort of the divided life. But Kohelet for us goes just on the I end, just on searching through his own heart and his own way of looking at the world. No appeal to what's outside. And I think that's why the book is hard for us to hear and challenge to, because we always want to say, but, 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 and, and he said he, he would allow it, but he'd say that's not something we can see or grasp or do today. To be a part of God's covenant people is true, but I set my heart to search about all that is done under the heavens and the earth. What he does is um, uh, he... Uh, explores first wisdom, pleasure, and then work in this section. He, he wants to walk through what, is, um, what does it mean to go all the way after wisdom? What does it mean to go all the way after pleasure? And what does it mean to look at the work of my hands as in this great way? Um, and so that's sort of what we'll walk through here in the next couple of verses. Um, what he says at the start, though, is... is by explore wisdom and all that is done under the sun, he says what a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. This goes back to what I said, the people who, who say, I've seen everything and are happy, Kohelet says, well, then keep exploring. Martin Luther says, anyone who is very wise has many reasons to become angry as the one who daily sees many things that are wrong. To look all at everything from the wise perspective, Kohelet and Luther to this level say, that'll make you mad. That'll give you rage at the world. And not because you know what would fix it. I don't think that's his solution. His point is, is that, that you see the disrepair all around, and the more you explore and find out up the chain why that is, it can only make you more frustrated. Oh, what a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. He takes from another culture at the time, there was this notion of, of teaching. A teacher would make a crooked road straight. That was the way that pedagogy, the theory of education, worked there. But he says, well, this crooked cannot be striking, straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied to this understanding of wisdom and also of madness and follow, but I learned this too, is chasing after the wind. This week as I studied, there was somebody who argued that the chasing after the wind could be translated shepherding after the wind, shepherding the wind. Uh, chasing after the wind sounds to me like certainly an error, but like, something that somebody could turn into like a happy thing for some reason. Um, I don't know why. Like it's, a, it's sailing. Sailing maybe is why I think that there, that could be a happy image. But trying to shepherd the wind, now that hits me with the frustration. Trying to shepherd 
the wind. I remember, I'm sure most of us did this at some point in our lives, trying to build um, a sandcastle close enough to the waves, um, but not to have it get destroyed. And then essentially it got closer and closer and eventually it would just get destroyed and there was nothing you could do about it. Um, That was frustrating. Um, Trying to shepherd the wind, trying to to take all that. And that's what he sort of comes to at the end of, of sort of exploring wisdom. For with wisdom, this connects to Luther, comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. More knowledge, the more grief. Should put that on our higher institutions of learning. That would make them very popular. The more you learn, the sadder you shall become. Uh, we, <laughs> funny enough, we promised the second thing at those places: pleasure. Um, um, but what Kohelet sees first is that as he gains in wisdom, as he can search out, as he can build this up in himself, it becomes a heavy burden becomes a hard thing. This is a different idea of wisdom than what Proverbs has. Proverbs has this freeing sense of what wisdom can do for us. But what Kohelet is suggesting, and again, this may not be the same wisdom that comes from the fear of the Lord, that phrase we learned uh, with Proverbs, this displacing of the self, but the wisdom that comes from being inside yourself and looking and seeing everything. It's that wisdom that leads to this frustration. He goes to pleasures next, which I I love. The commentaries always point out how much Baptists struggle with this, which always makes me laugh. They're like, maybe he didn't go too far, which would be like, then what's he know if he doesn't go too far? And if if putting it in the persona of Solomon, we have in this notion of Solomon as a man who went far into pleasures. Um, He sought out deeply. I said to myself, come, I will test pleasure to find out what is good. But that proved also to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, it is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guided me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. He searches out what pleasure can bring, and he finds that empty as well. He finds it meaningless. Uh, Eugene Peterson, um, we've got the smoke machine back today. Um, uh, it's a great name for it. Um, uh, that uh, Eugene Peterson, in, his, in his, his, his translation, the message, translates this, this meaningless, this hevel, this vapor, as trying to grasp smoke. Um, trying to get a hold of smoke, of, of that which is meaningful. And what he finds in pleasure is that it, too, is like smoke. Going back to the first chapter, it's like this river that runs but is never filled, this ear that can hear but it never hears enough. You just create this longing within yourself in which you can just do more and more. Pleasure he finds empty. Drink he finds empty. Even, even folly, he doesn't find that much better, which I think is an interesting thing, is that Kohelet says wisdom, frustrating, folly, meaningless. That, that he's really going after everything. He takes on great projects next. He goes to work next. I was reading um, uh, Church Dogmatics by Karl Barth one evening, and I was also doing like my... my 
uh, journal for the week on like what I had to accomplish. And I can't remember the exact phrase, but he, he said that it's weird how we build um, the chains of our own frustration in our work. It was, it was like being more productive and getting stuff done only meant that there was more productive stuff and more to do. Um, you just keep going into that. Um, and, and I think what's interesting about the modern productivity movement, which I am, um, you want to talk about David Allen and getting things done or boojoing or any of that, I'm there. So, so don't get me wrong, I've over-abused this stuff. But, but one of the things we find in the modern productivity movement is this way in which we can be more slaves to that thing. The way that we can get so good at it that we're um, ultimately succumbing to it, that it becomes our life. And so Kohelet, um, because he's, he's able to say he built houses and planted vineyards, I made gardens and parks. And what's interesting here is, is there's a lot of Genesis connections in, in Ecclesiastes. Um, the Genesis connection here is, is that he sets up a creation, and yet he finds it meaningless. I set out to search in my heart, seeing that the tree, the fruit of the knowledge of goodness looked pleasing to the eye, that, that this temptation of humanity to define everything for ourselves absent of God ends up in meaningless and frustration. But what God defined creation at, what he established, is as good. And so we end up in that place. I set out, and he builds all these things. I bought male and female slaves, had other slaves who were born in my house. I also earned herds and flocks. Then anyone in Jerusalem before me amassed silver and gold and wealth and treasure, kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became far greater than anyone in Jerusalem before this, and all this my wisdom stayed with me. And then he ends with this poem. I denied myself nothing my eyes desires. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor and all this reward for all my toil. I did all this. I took delight in it. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and all my child had to achieve, everything was a meaningless, a chasing, a shepherding of the wing. Nothing was gained under the sun. As I made all this and succeeded in all this, what I found is that nothing was gained under the sun. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and, and madness and folly. And what more can a king's successor do than what has already been done? Now here, um, he's changing the work question a little bit to like, who am I going to pass this on to? And again, he finds that frustrating because I'm passing it on to somebody who, doesn't do, who hasn't done anything. Um, uh, that I'll pass it on to someone who has not done this work or done this thing. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me, or the wise have eyes in their head while the fool walks in darkness, but I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless, for the wise, like the fool, will not long be remembered. The days have already come to it. Both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. Build your wealth, seek your pleasure, grow in wisdom, and you die too. The fool dies and you die. There is no prolonging life 
in this. Now, what I love about that opening part is that at least wisdom you walk in the light and fools walk in the darkness. But as we go further into this book, what I think he's going to mean is that when you're wise, you know what you walk into. When you go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and step on your jeans, uh, not your jeans, your uh, belt with the sharp point, um, because it's dark, you, uh, that's no fun. Um, you learn not to leave your jeans in that spot. But more importantly is um, you know what you stepped on is his point. That, that light and darkness, the fool's in darkness, but he still moves around in the world, sometimes gets a good thing, sometimes gets a bad thing. The wise person still moves around in the world, um, can more readily avoid bad things because he's in the light, but there are certain things that are still going to hit you nonetheless. The wise person has the benefit of seeing that which is coming for them, but that's not, in his mind, that much better. And in the end, we will all also die. Death is what comes for each of us. Um, I have like several different analogies that I'm going to use throughout this sermon series. And like I said last week, they're all variations on a theme. But this one, I was talking to Shelby after church. If you're from uh, the era of graduation music when the Wear Sunscreen song was popular, um, it was Chris Rock who did his own version of it. Um, I won't go into the title of it. But he suggested in his, it was a graduation speech played over music, but what Chris Rock suggested in his is, uh, oh, you want a horoscope, I'll give you a horoscope. Pisces, you're going to die. Leo, you're going to die. Gemini, you're going to die twice. Um, the, the point being is adopting Kohelet's frame, here's your horoscope, you're going to die. Save all you want, work all you want, seek pleasure all you want, but death comes for all of you. So he says, so I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it was meaningless, a chafing after the wind. I toiled under the sun and I leave it to the person after me. He goes into how this person hasn't earned it. This too is meaningless and a great fortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving which they labor under the sun? All the days their work is Grief and pain, even nights, their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless. You got sleepless nights to pass it on to a kid who didn't earn it, is essentially what he's saying. And, and part of this is, is interesting because we'll get more into that um, Ecclesiastes seems to come out to when the people are in exile, which raises interesting questions about what's meaningful and meaningless if you've lost what you were supposed to have and you've moved into exile. Um, but what guided the Jews for sometimes was this hereditary nature, and you see it in the book of Genesis, is, is that the next generation will have it and have it and have it. And Kohelet says, even that doesn't really do it. Um, it's its own mess as well. And so he ends um, with his first, what they call the carpe diem passages. A person can do another better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too I see is from the hand of God, for without him who can eat or drink or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom and knowledge and happiness, but to the sinner he gives the gathering and storing up of wealth to hand over the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. 
He ends with, after all this, what is there to do? It's to eat and drink and to find a little satisfaction in your own toil. And to see this is coming from the hand of God, he instructs. But what uh, the, the second half of this passage sounds um, pretty negative, is, is that God gives wisdom and knowledge and happiness to the person who pleases him, so aim to please him, but the sunner he gives up to storing up and handing it over to the other person. Sounds not like what Kohelet is saying, right? He, he's been suggesting that this is not the way the world works. And what and so context dictating the meaning, it was Tremper Longman who pointed this out, that what Kohelet is frustrated by here, or what he's naming here is God has found pleasing in people with no rhyme or reason, and sinner is better translated offender, he's thrown rough lot on. We see this in our world. People who are good, and striving, seeking to do the best, and end up with the worst lot possible. We see people who lie and cheat and steal, and then just gain. It works out for them. What Kohelet is naming here, and this is why the next passage about there's a time for everything, is actually very frustrating, not happy at all, is that God just does these things. And so the best you have to do is to eat and drink and to celebrate a little in your toil. So Brian, for us, read to us that passage from Luke. It's interesting that man who who says, I will build myself a bigger barn. I had a great harvest. I did all this. He's like Kohelet. He only talks to himself. He has all his own plans. It's the interrupting of God that says, okay, you fool, to light your life will be taken from you. You've built yourself a bigger barn, but you've not become rich with God. Man, in that passage, doesn't eat or drink, finds satisfaction in his own toil, but thinks about this bigger life project, thinks about building larger and larger, thinks about what he can do and what he can make, And that night, his very life is demanded from him. This is our temptation and struggle as well. To try and enjoy what we have in the moment. To sort of sit in that place. The the Duke scholar Ellen Davis, uh, she says it's not so much carpe diem because that's the seize the day sort of uh, grab what you have sort of thing. She says that, that what Kohelet is arguing in these passages is accept the gift. Accept the time that you have. Now, the, the last thing I want to say, um, quotidian. This, this is this word, right? Did I pronounce it correctly? Quotidian. I always mess it up. Um, the quotidian, the ordinary, the everyday. What Kohelet is arguing for in this passage, I think, and it speaks to us in this modern world, is we have a temptation. What Kohelet done is done life projects. He did the life project of wisdom. He did the life project of pleasure. He did the life project of building the biggest and best he could. 
we do all our life projects. We even have a career today called Life Coach. Most of what we get fed through Instagram or the other influences are life coaching, Oprah and everything else, so that we might achieve the maximal success we have in this life. What Kohelet, and I think Jesus, wants to free us to is to say that there is a meaning that comes outside of you just making better and better. History's meaning, your life's meaning, is more in these ad hoc, these, these steps along the way in which we enjoy each other, we do small projects, we eat, we drink, and we see a little joy in our toil. Then we say, from beginning to end, my whole life has been striving for this. Because two things will happen if you do that. One, you're going to die. Two, you don't know when you're going to die. You fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. So the good news, (laughs) today's passage, we're freed into the ordinary. We're freed into being with people. Meaning in creation is eccentric to us. It is outside of us. It's not something we find in ourselves. And so we'll end with what the writer says at the end. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted to the knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched just to find the right words, and what he wrote about was upright and true. Why do we listen to the teacher? The words of lies are like goats. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, in anything of addition to them. These things are meant to prod us like a shepherd. Of the making of books, there is no end, and the much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. And this here, we're going to, every week we'll we'll try to see how this is good news. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including everything in hitting whether it is good or evil. The meaning, in the end, is that God will bring some meaning to it and his judgment and wisdom. So it is for us to eat and to drink, to take some small pleasures in our toil. Let us pray. God, you have called us to listen to the teacher. This odd and strange book has been adopted into your holy scriptures. So to God, we listen, not always joyously, but looking for the wisdom of what the teacher sees is right and wise. These things are meant to be a goad for us, a spear, a poke, to bring our lives into perspective. May we hear them as such. But even more so, may we not be those who just say, I and myself have searched out. I in my own looking have pondered everything. That I have been capable of all this. But may we be the ones who know the God who through his own judgment will make sense of this. It's not our life projects or our life goals or life struggles. 
that in the midst of hevel, of meaningless, of vapor and smoke, that there is one who will judge it out correctly. So we shall fear you and obey your commandments the days of our lives. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.